All right. Well, if you have a Bible, turn it on or turn over to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number three. So we took a little short pause uh, to talk about the obvious in uh, us becoming one church and gathering and uh, the heart of Jesus in that in John seventeen twenty one and praying for uh, the church and for us and that that we would all do that, that we would all be able to uh, look to the good of each other. And today, though, we're, we're going to move back into our series on the book of Daniel that that both of us, uh, our churches had started uh, before this. And uh, we're, we're calling it Stand Firm, calling it Stand Firm. And uh, one of the real things that we pushed in the first two weeks was that for the most part, or maybe in your spirit, when, when things come along in our culture or things come along in our world or things come along in your world that maybe don't line up with your worldview or don't line up with Scripture, that in the body of Christ, at least in this country... Uh, we have these two uh, opposite conclusions that get to be drawn and, and we see it in the church culture in different ways that, that we either bow to culture and just say, you know what? In the name of love and in the name of reaching people, we're, we're just going to fold on this issue that God is actually clear on. Or there's the opposite. We, we have bullhorn guy who you know, goes down to Emily Arena and gets out his bullhorn and yells at people. And who among us hasn't walked by and been like, I don't know how effective that is. <laughs> you know, I don't, that doesn't make me want to go to church. And yet, they do it in the name of truth. And so we've got these two things and, and the, the thing we've been posing in this sermon series and really looking at the life of Daniel is, what happens when you're in this moment, when you're in a culture that's far from God and you're faced with this decision, God said, or it's clear from the word that God's called us to this, but we don't want to bow to culture. We also don't want to unnecessarily run people away. Is there a third way? And we've suggested that there is, that this third way is a way of influence. And we see that in the life of Daniel in chapters 1 and chapter 2 as they're ripped out of their homeland and taken into slavery and how they were offered the king's meat and offered to be reindoctrinated in the ways of the world and in the ways of Babylon. And Daniel doesn't freak out and his three buddies don't freak out even though they're renamed and tried to be re-identified. They see their identity in God and they choose to influence. And God blesses that and honors that. And uh, truth and love is really where Jesus landed, right? Think, of, think about the life of Jesus. I mean, who among us when, <laughs> when Jesus was hanging on the cross, if that had been me, and somebody had said, oh, just call on your angels and you know, come off the cross and prove us all wrong. I said, I'll come off the cross, buddy. Come off the cross and I'll show you what, what God can do in the name of Jesus. But that would have been wrong, right? You know, Jesus had this third way. Jesus said, I am, I am 
the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You say, well, that's pretty, that's pretty exclusive, Pastor. It's pretty exclusive. And I would say it is. However, it's inclusive in the fact that Jesus didn't just say, deal with it. Rise to the challenge. Right? It's the thing that separates the God of the Bible, that separates Jesus from every other religion in the world. Is that he didn't just say that, but then he himself stepped out of the splendors of heaven and gave his life. It's the gospel. It's good news that you and I, lost in our sin, have a God who came to us. It's amazing. So whatever the views are in our culture that maybe rub you the wrong way or rub me the wrong way, and we could go through the whole list, but... I think every one of us, both within the church culture, because listen, it's not just the it's not just the the world's culture either, right? The church culture, we we can mess this up, and we can have our own arguments, and we can have our own uh, sins and sinfulness. But whether it be the church culture or the world culture, uh, there are times where every single one of us feel this pull. That God is doing something and he's calling us to something. And when we think about the scriptures and we think about being salt and light and standing out and standing firm. We have to wonder, where is it that God's calling me? You know, it can be as simple as this illustration. I don't know about you, but maybe you're like at Fresh Kitchen. Amen. I mean, where else can you eat healthy and feel like this tasted really good? Some of you are probably like, that's not healthy, Pastor. It is for me, trust me. <laughs> but think about it. Where you do this and maybe you grew up uh, in the church like I did. And one of the things that I've just done my whole life is pray before my food. And now, now listen, that, that, there's no Bible verse that says thou shalt pray before your meal. So don't hear that. But for me, that's just something I've always done. Just a way to honor God and seek first His kingdom and not mine. And yet when you roll into Fresh Kitchen and you get your bowl, you've got your four, your six, depending on how hungry you are. <laughs> and you sit down and for me, my kids look at me because they know the coons we pray before we eat. And you feel that internal struggle of everybody around you watching you who isn't actually watching you. <laughs> But you do, you feel that little pool and then you pray anyway, but maybe it's like the quick prayer. You ever do the quick prayer? Like, thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> All right, kids, real hungry today. <laughs> you know, like, but you know what I'm saying. That's a silly illustration of the fact that maybe when you walk, in, walk into work and it's at the water cooler and there's a conversation about X, Y, or Z and you know you have a, a worldview on that and there's difficulty there. How do I navigate that? How do I... How do I not bow to culture's opinion? How do I speak God's truth? But, but how do I do it in love? Because what we talked about in the first couple of weeks is it's not us versus them. We are them. <laughs> We're all humanity who has walked away from the truth, right? Scripture says that none of us are seeking God. We've all gone astray. That, that is every single one of us. And so even those of us who have made it the bible still says that our hearts too are deceitfully wicked 
Who can know it? So we just recognize that there is this culture that we live in that needs Jesus, just like we need Jesus. And then we're called to a few things here in the New Testament. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, stay alert. Stand firm in the faith. Show courage. Be strong. And we're like, yeah. But then he throws this in. Everything you do should be done in love. Okay, well now that just got really difficult, right? Because it's one thing to be like, the Bible says it, I believe it. <laughs> right? But, and like, that's true. Every word of God, we believe it. And we're going to teach it and we're going to live it. But it says everything that you do should be done in love. John's Gospel reminds us of who Jesus is, right? In, in John 1.14 it says this, Now the Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw His glory. What's His glory? The glory of the one and only, full of what? Grace and truth who came from the Father. So for Jesus even, and I get it, He's perfect, He's God, but as He came to this earth and lived among us, He modeled this third way where it's grace and truth, that, that we're not sacrificing the truth, we're doing it in grace. Because there is that temptation to see it as us versus them, isn't there? There really is. There's a temptation to do that. But the reality is, is that we are them and we're all sinners in need of a Savior. So what do we do? We look for this third way. We look for this third way where, where we honor the truth and stand firm, but we also look to show grace and show love like Jesus. And so that lands us in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel. And so as we uh, come to chapter 3, uh, chapter 2 was a really important part of the story. So in chapter 1, Daniel and his friends and other Israelites are, are ripped out of their homeland, taken away, put in slavery. And then these four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they are renamed to that and, and changed. And yet they choose to stand firm. And God honors that. And they get promoted and get put in uh, places of authority in the kingdom, in Babylon's kingdom. And so God's at work, God's at move in, in every culture and in every place. It was just about four or five months ago, I got to go and, with our network and, and look at some church plants, one in Cambodia and one in Indonesia and Jakarta, which is, which is not gospel-centered, I'll just say it that way, right? And, and is actually dangerous. And yet, the church is thriving. It was awesome. And there was, they were so joyful and, and they, they had nothing. And so the gospel is on the move and God is at work in every culture, in every place. It's really amazing. And that was true for Daniel and, and his friends. It's right here in the middle of Babylon. God was on the move. And so as chapter 2 comes in and and King Nebuchadnezzar is, is the ruler in Babylon at this point, And he has this dream. This crazy dream about an image and a statue and it was uh, strong and big and 
then all these other things come in and, and, and tear down the statue and, and ruin the statue and it collapses. And he's like, I need to know what this means. And so he calls all the people in his kingdom who are, who are wise and uh, smart and have uh, interpreted things before and, and they can't. And they can't. They say, oh yeah, but you know what? There's this one guy named Daniel. Let's check with him. <laughs> and so to make a really long story short, Daniel uh, asks God for the interpretation and God gives him the interpretation and uh, basically he says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is your kingdom. That kingdom that you're building, that you are creating for yourself and that you are uh, pointing to yourself, there's coming an end. And then it really moves into a bigger picture that it's all kingdoms of the earth. No matter how strong they get, no matter how big they get, are going to crumble. You know, there's a smaller application for you and I, no matter how big the kingdom is that we build right here. There's a coming end to that. And this won't be on the screen, but in chapter 2, verse 44, uh, Daniel preaches the gospel. And he says this to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says this, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. There's a better king. And you and I can rest in the fact, trust in the fact, put our hope in the fact that there is a better king. And his name is Jesus. And so that happens, that interpretation happens, and Nebuchadnezzar says, Wow, Daniel, thank you. I'm going to promote you. I'm going to promote you guys. I'm going to put you in places of authority. And your God is God. He literally says at the end of chapter 2, the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the God of gods. Praise God. <laughs> That's how chapter 2 ends. And then chapter 3 starts. And somehow, Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king, goes from Daniel, your God is the God of gods. And now here we are in chapter 3. Would you go to your Bible with me? Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, that's 90 feet tall, and breadth or width was 6 cubits, 9 feet wide. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. We went from Daniel, God is God, to look at me. I want to know, how do you go from that dream you had about that big golden image? It's going to crumble. Awesome. Hey guys, let's build a really big golden image of me. What just happened? You know what? For every single one of us, you know, we can chuckle at that. But for every single one of us, when we live in this culture and with our blessings, and I recognize that every, not, not all of us have the same uh, physical blessings that some of us do, but we've been a blessed people. And in that, every single one of us has to answer this question. And it's the first thing in your notes today, if you're taking notes, either on the YouVersion app or 
uh, in your worship guide, there were some notes. The very first question that I want to ask you as we uh, set into this text is this question, who will I? That's what it says in your notes, but it's who will we worship? Who will we worship? Nebuchadnezzar is given the truth by Daniel. Actually confesses the truth and still does his own thing. And every one of us, we, we, we have always, humanity has always had a worship problem. Started in the garden and it continues in my life. Started in the garden and continues in your life. That every day, right, I remember when I was a kid, we used to have this magnet on our fridge. I think it's short-sighted theologically. But, uh, you know, because the gospel breaks down all that and we're safe in Christ. And all that. But, but I just remember it was like burned in my head. There was a white block and a, a black block. And it said, choose today who you will serve. And it was like, God or myself. And it's just like, as a little kid, I was just like, not choosing that one. And then I would go choose that one. <laughs> and then I would live for myself. And uh, it's like, wow, every day we have this choice to make. Who am I going to worship? Who am I going to worship? And as the text goes on here, uh, here, here's what's happening. Verse 2, Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So all those people come, verse 3, down to verse 4. And the herald proclaimed aloud, listen to this, You are commanded. O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You know, I want to walk through a couple things in this in this text, and we'll we'll take in some more of of chapter three. But I think it's important for us to recognize that for every single one of us, we're going to be prone to fall to certain images. We're going to be prone to fall to certain sounds. We're going to be prone to wander, right? There's an old song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And there's some truth in that. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. But here's the truth. We have to guard what we see and guard what we hear and filter it through the truth, filter it through the scripture, because here's what I believe, uh, that Satan hides many evils in pleasant sounds. Satan hides many evils in pleasant sights. Right? It's, it's the lie and the temptation of sin, right? That the scripture is even honest about, that there's pleasure in sin for what? A season. Satan's not an idiot, Right? But the Bible does say he's walking around seeking whom he can devour. He's not on your team, but he's going to make it look like it. And 
for every one of us, culture will make an ultimatum because Satan is going to bring an ultimatum and say, who will you worship? And you better worship me. You better worship this. It, it, it got Satan kicked out of heaven, right? He started life as Lucifer. Worship leader. Leading, leading songs about Jesus in heaven. How did that happen? <laughs> Who will you worship? Who will you worship? And so as we move into this text, uh, we've gone from this dream and Daniel saves the day. And the next thing is, boom, big statue of Neb. And you think, wow, what did these guys do? What did these guys do when standing face to face with culture? How did they handle that? How did they react to you better worship? You better bow. The first thing that I want you to write down after who will I worship is this. Standing firm takes courage. Standing firm takes courage. Every single one of us, no matter where we are tomorrow, there will probably come a point where you need courage. Courage. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Here's, here's where, where they're at. So the music happens and then these guys notice that uh, these three guys and... Man, where's Daniel in this? Somehow Daniel got out of this. But... Uh, Look at verse 12. There are certain Jews. So the, these smart people, these wise people, these officials see that all these people, all the nations, all the language, all the tribes, they're bowing. But there's these three knuckleheads that aren't, right? There are certain Jews. They're standing before the king, talking to him, whom you have appointed. It's your fault these Jews are over us. Over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. Which that was a lie, right? They work for him. They've been in there. They, they've been with him. They pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage. Listen, it's going to take some courage in our culture to live a different worldview. When you don't bow to culture, there might be some furious rage. But it keeps, keeps going. And furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, he's going to give them another chance because he's a nice guy. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, I wonder if he said all this, like, for real. Just making sure they understood every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made. Well, and good. <laughs> so easy. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Just think about the this, this scenario here, right? There's thousands of people. They don't bow. We did what was right, guys. Then they get called in before the king, and there's the furnace. You know, we sang a song about being in the fire. It's a powerful, it's a powerful picture because, you know what? It's one thing to say in here amongst ourselves, 
We're going to stand firm. We're going to love well. What happens when you're in the furnace? What happens when you're standing next to the furnace? Here's, here's these guys in front of this furious king who did actually have the power to take their life at that point. And they're standing by the furnace and here's the question he asked them at the end of verse 15. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who's the God that's going to deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. You see, that's interesting to me. Because most of the time, if you're going to stand for truth, you're like, well, I'm going to answer you, bro. Get ready. Here comes my knowledge bomb. <laughs> Here comes my truth bomb. And we we fight. But they say, we don't, we don't need to answer you. It was Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher long ago, who said uh, that defending the Bible is like defending a lion. You don't need to defend a lion. You just open the cage and let him out, right? God can fight for himself. But he's going to put you and allow you to be in places that are testing, Right? His James, Jesus' brother, said it. He said, Consider it joy when you fall into various trials. And by the way, their trials weren't like our trials. There are places in this world that face those kind of trials. But life and death. It's a powerful thing. And so here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to answer you in this matter. Verse 17, but we're going to. If this be so. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, I love this. I love their heart here. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Listen. I think it's really important for all of us to just wrap our head around the fact that courage is not being afraid of nothing. It was probably hot in that room and that fire probably looked extremely real. Courage is not being afraid of nothing, but courage is being certain of something greater than your fear. Right? Because that's where the rubber meets the road is I do feel a little scared of that. I do feel a little awkward. I do feel a little hesitant to step into that moment and have a conversation. I do feel a little scared, but I am certain of one thing. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And that's our hope, that it's not actually about me. Jesus said it to his followers when he was walking around on earth. He said, uh, there's going to be men who will hate you. It's going to happen. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. That's just the way it is. You should get used to that. If nobody hates you, you might not be doing it right. I struggle with that. I'm a people guy. I'm a people person. And I, I can like cloak that in, I'm just, I'm just a shepherd, you know. But like, takes courage takes courage to live on mission for God in this world. Think about Esther. 
Right? I love the line that Mordecai says to Esther in Scripture. Who knows, Esther? God might have put you here for such a time as this. And she steps into that. And God blesses it. She would have been afraid. But it was worth it. It's 1 Corinthians 15, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? We have those promises to hold. It takes courage. Standing firm takes courage. The next thing there, standing firm also takes faith. Standing firm takes faith. Look at verse 19. So, so that has just happened and they say we're not going to bow. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And listen to this. And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It got real. Listen to this. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind them. Heated it up. It just said heated it up seven times hotter. Verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, into the burning fiery furnace. They, 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 couldn't even, <laughs> they couldn't even get thrown in. The thing was so hot that the guys who tried to throw them in died before they got there. And so they fell. You can just see a bound guy. He just uh, falls and bounces into this, this furnace. And at that point, you would think, well, it's over. They gave up their life for, Jesus, for, for God. But remember what they said. Our God can deliver us from the furnace. Look at the scripture here in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, so he was, think about this, remember it said he changed his face. Vitriol, rage, fury. And don't you just love this? doesn't matter how far your heart is from God. God can always bring it back. Amen. That's the gospel, right? You're never too far gone. You've never outpunted God's coverage. Because here's what happens. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, That's true. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Really working hard. Verse 25. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound. They're not bound anymore. They're unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of that fourth one is like a son of the gods. This is what theologians would call a Christophany. You know, we sang that song, There's Another in the Fire. It's because there is. It's because there is that God Himself was in that fire. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to call Him an angel and he's just not even totally sure what's going on here. But we're, we know there's another one in that fire. No matter where you are, there's another one in that fire with you Here's the reality. Standing firm takes faith. Takes faith in what? What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew but couldn't quite yet see. Right? They, they knew God could get into that fire with them. And they declared that. 
But they couldn't yet see that. But you know what? When they went fumbling and bumbling into that fire, you know who was there in the fire? Jesus. Jesus was there. He was with them in that fire. You know what? If we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. We have to stand firm in our faith. But listen to me. It's much less about being against something. We don't want to fall into this trap of of letting people know what we're against. It's really about being for something. God has you in the world for a purpose, but He said in John 17, you're not of the world. You're, You're in the world to be on mission for God. It's the Great Commission in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them going to do that tonight if you've never done that now's the time what an awesome thing that god could transform your life because he sent jesus into the world to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself and that's make a way for yourself to be right with god written in the heart of every man the bible says is god's law we know right and wrong and that there's a god and we may not have all that figured out but that much we know And I would encourage you today, if you've never confessed Jesus as Lord of your life, there's no more freeing thing than to make Him in charge. And the Bible's really clear. It's just confessing that He is Lord and believing that Jesus rose from the dead. And you will be saved. You just tell Him that. Just confess that to Him. And if you did that today, one of our elders, we would love to meet you back at Info Central after the service today and get you signed up to get to get baptized tonight because what's baptism? Baptism is the outward sign. It's planting the stake in the ground and saying, I'm with Jesus. I'm, I'm going all in. And then we baptize you because it's a picture of what Jesus did. It's when we put you underwater that you're buried with Christ in baptism, Scripture says. And when we bring you out, you were raised to walk in newness of life. Why? Because when Jesus went to the cross and died for your sin, He paid that penalty and He was buried for it. But he defeated it when he rose out of that grave and gave every single one of us the opportunity to live a new life, to walk a new life. And that's the picture of baptism. And so uh, we want to be a part of that for you. We would love to celebrate with you tonight as the church, your public declaration that you are planting that stake in the ground. Standing firm takes faith. It does. God has something for each of us. But then the last one, standing firm, inspires others. You know, it's actually in that moment that we get to be a witness for God. Look at this. So that all happens, and he's rest, and these guys are rescued. And Nebuchadnezzar, verse twenty-six, comes near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declares, "Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God." We're back to that again. Come out, come out here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out from the fire. And all the wise guys are there. And they're sniffing them and they're poking them. And the Bible says, wow, the hair of their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. They didn't even smell like a fire. You can just see it. They're like, you don't even smell bad. (laughs) I love that. Look at verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship what any God except their own. What an awesome testimony. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house is laid in ruins and there is no other God who is able to rescue us in this way. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar needed growth track, amen? <laughs> he was a zealous believer, right? Like, like we believe God has a purpose for every person and so if you've never gone through growth track, you should do that. Sign up at Info Central because what we do is we walk you through uh, who this church is and, and, and we walk you through who you are and who God's created you to be and spiritual gifts and figuring out what it is that God's wired you to do. Nebuchadnezzar didn't figure that out yet. His version of evangelism was bow the knee or die, right? And uh, so we don't take that uh, uh, position here. And uh, so, but even that, Nebuchadnezzar was inspired by what he just saw. So you standing firm in a loving and gracious way is actually going to cause other people to say, I may not agree with you right now, but I can respect the way you go about handling your business. You know, because here, here's the reality. Uh, the Bible's not afraid of science. The Bible's not afraid of history. It's not a science book. It's not a history book. But it's not incongruent with those things. And we know that. And there are extremely smart people who have made resources available to all of us that, that the argument can be made fine. But we recognize that it's in these moments where people recognize that there's something different about us. It's strange. It takes faith. But it's worth it. So let's circle back to the question. Who will we worship? Who are we going to worship? Where do you fit into that story? What's the fire that you're being faced with? Where are you tempted to bow? I would encourage you in this way. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what Scripture says. But you have a choice. You can bow that knee now. Or you can bow it later. And we want to encourage you to bow it now. You know, and as you step out and step into the life that God's led you to, I just, I want to leave you with a couple things. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And just uh, proverbially speaking, and you're welcome to come down to the altar. I would love to pray with you. I know we've got some other elders up here at the front that would love to pray with you. Pastor Carl would love to pray with you. Um, but as you make that decision, as you make that thing, let me encourage you in three ways. There, there are three really practical ways that you can stand firm starting now. Like these are three things that you can pray through right now as we are blessed by this song. The first one is this, stand in prayer. James 5.17, confessing your sin, getting healing. Uh, and then he, he connects that to Elijah, right? When Elijah was on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And all looked lost. And then God showed up. What an awesome thing. Stand in prayer. It says that 
the prayer of a righteous person has great power. You're not righteous because you choose to stand firm. (laughs) You're righteous because Jesus stood firm on your behalf and made a way for you to be right with God. You're going to mess it up. Maybe you already messed it up today. (laughs) But praise God that there's peace for us at the cross. At the bloody cross, there's peace for us. Stand firm in prayer. Then I would say this, like Esther, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, like Daniel, stand firm in your calling. Where's God put you? Where's God placed you? Get signed up for growth track. Go through that. Let's get figured out where God's called you. Where can you serve each other here at church? Where can you serve out in the world? There's amazing things happening at this church. Outside of these walls and inside of these walls. And in groups and just all kinds of great things. But you've got to stand firm in that calling. Let's figure it out together. Let's, let's work together to do that. And then finally, stand for God and His Word. Let's not stand on anything else. Let's not muddy the water with our ideas. This life is going to take you to some fiery places, isn't it? Probably already has. The Bible's clear. It confesses that anyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer persecution. It's going to be different in different places, but in a world that says self-preserve, we want to open our hands and say, Here I am. Send me. Because God offers this other way to stand firm and love well. I love what Matthew records Jesus saying, Blessed are the peacemakers. Even Jesus on the cross, peacemaker. The gospel's good news. It's good news for you and I today that Jesus saves sinners. Sinners.